If you'd open your Bibles to Revelation 16 tonight, Revelation 16, and we'll be looking at the first 12 verses of the 16th chapter, which say this, then, which that connects us now to that temple that was filled with smoke from the glory of God, and you weren't able to enter that temple again until these plagues are poured out. That's what this points back to, that little adverb, then. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the elders saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat. And they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, And its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God and for the people of God. Thank you for this book of Revelation. You have given this book to us to understand. You have given this book to the churches that we are to learn it, teach it, believe it, apply it as best as we can. Although we'll not be in this time frame, we certainly want to be able to defend truth. And we pray that we would learn to do that. In light of this passage, in Jesus' name, amen. We are living in a world in which there are just some crazy notions that are being propagated, even by churches. For example, there are some churches who actually think that they're going to make the world a better place to live. And there are some people that really believe the world's going to get better. We'll just take a look. Do you think that's true? I mean, just observe what is going on in this world And then think back 10, 20 years and see if the world has gotten better. It's getting worse and worse and darker and darker. And one of the things also that people think about this world is that God is never going to judge the world. He's a good God. He's a loving God. We just got done singing a song that said God's name is the same from age to age. It's the same from age to age. We learn in the scriptures that God is unchanging. He doesn't change. The Lord Jesus Christ said that he's the same yesterday and today forever. At least the statement was made about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by the time you get to this part of the tribulation, what you are discovering is that God, who's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, that God who does not change does have a wrath side. What do you do with the flood? How do you explain the flood if you don't think God is a wrath side? Well, what people will say, well, there wasn't really a flood. Oh, yes, there was. There's proof of that. What do you do with Sodom and Gomorrah? Fire comes down from heaven and destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. What do you do with Jericho? 
Those walls were found by John Garstang in the early 1900s. Those walls were down flat. How do you explain that? Most of the time when walls are bashed in by a military, they're just bashed in and they're in bits and pieces. These walls fell down flat. They found them flat. How do you explain that? There's only one explanation. God did it. And God is a God of wrath. And that side of God is on full display when you get to this point in this book of Revelation. What we see here is God authorizes the finale of his wrath judgment in the great tribulation with the final bowl judgments. This is a time period in which it is all wrath. We've never seen anything like this. This world has never seen anything like this. There hasn't been anything like this really since the worldwide flood. But it will be a time when God's whole work that is being hammered on this earth is going to be a wrath work. Now, there are seven observations we want to make tonight before we launch into this text that kind of help us understand what is happening here. First of all, the bold judgments are the third series of judgments that we've seen in the book of Revelation. The first series of seven judgments was the seal judgments that began in chapter 6, verse 1. Then there was the trumpet judgments, which turned out to be the seventh seal judgment, chapter 8, verse 7. And now we come to the finale, the bowl judgments. You have seven bowl judgments, which is a ferocious judgment of the wrath of God. One commentator said, by the time you get here, what you actually have is Super Bowl seven. Seven ferocious judgments of God. All seven continents need to know the truth of this, and people all over the world are going to experience this. These judgments occur in consecutive sequence. The first series of sealed judgments that occurred in chapter 6, one quarter of the world's population was destroyed. Our present population in the world is about 8 billion people, so just in that particular judgment, 2 billion people were destroyed that left 6 billion. In the second series, trumpet judgments, one-third of the world's population was destroyed with a population left of 6 billion people. One-third of that's another 2 billion people. So now you have 4 billion people left. So by the time you just get to chapter 9, we're way beyond that now. We're getting into stuff way beyond chapter 9. By the time you are through chapter 9, half of the world's population is destroyed. But in this third series of bold judgments, all the rest of the people are the targets. It's like God says, I'm tracking them all down because of their hatred toward me and my word and my son. Now, the second observation is the bold judgments are the actual contents of the seventh trumpet judgment. Now, they're similar to the trumpet judgments, but there are three main differences. First of all, the trumpet judgment was a partial judgment, one-third. The bold judgments are complete, two-thirds. Secondly, the trumpet judgment affects some people, but the bold judgments will affect all people. Thirdly, the trumpet judgments give opportunity for repentance. The bold judgments don't. There's no major outcry from an angel flying through the sky asking people to respond and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen by the time you get to this point in the tribulation. Now, the third observation is the bold judgments are the last of the tribulation judgments of God. When the bold judgments are over, the tribulation is over. What we learn from that is that God regulates the wrath with time regulation. If he didn't do that, no flesh would be saved at all. So he has regulated it. This is the last of it. The fourth observation is the bold judgments are the wrath judgments of God. 
These judgments specifically are called, you'll see it tonight, wrath judgments of God. These are not chastising judgments designed to get people to turn into a right relationship with him. There is a big difference. Chastising judgments are corrective judgments. Wrath judgments are destructive judgments. And these are wrath judgments. And these bowls, which normally contain incense as a sweet fragrance to God, are now filled up with wrath. And it's a judgment of destruction. Now the... Fifth observation is the bold judgments are wrath judgments against the earth and against those who live on the earth. You'll notice in chapter 16 and verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. God is going to unleash the finale of destructive wrath with an arsenal of things that he will aim at people all over the world, no matter where they're at in the world, this wrath is going after them, and there's going to be no relief, there's going to be no escape. When they get to this point of the tribulation, these judgments are going to be aimed straight at them. Now, the sixth observation, and in our notes, that says observation number seven. Somebody made a mistake there. I'm not sure who it was. It was me. (laughs) It was me. The sixth observation is the bowl wrath judgments will be poured out in rapid fire sequence. There'll be no time lapse between them. In fact, some of this may be simultaneous action in some ways. We're in the final days of the tribulation, and this wrath thing is happening nonstop now. We're moving toward the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we move toward that, it just intensifies with wrath. And the seventh observation is the bold wrath judgments are poured out on an unbelieving, unrepentant people who are all aligned with Satan. These people took the mark of the beast. They will be specifically targeted. And by the way, The object of the wrath of God is not going to be the sin, it's going to be the sinner. The sinner is going to pay a price, and it'll be a price that will be high and it will be eternal. Now verse 1 says, I heard a loud voice from the temple. Because it starts with the adverb then, that connects us to the 8th verse of the 15th chapter, what we would conclude from this is, no one could go into the temple until the wrath was finished, So this voice that's coming out of the temple can't be an angel, and it can't be a human. It must be God. We know that this voice that's coming out of the temple is in fact the voice of God, because Isaiah, in Isaiah 66, 6 says, a voice of uproar from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who's rendering recompense to his enemies. Now we learn from Revelation 15.8 that the glory of God was in the temple, so this voice coming from the temple has to be the voice of God, since nobody can go into that temple other than God being there. It has to be the voice of God. And when this voice of God is set forth, it gives a command to seven angels. Now when you study angelology, and I would just encourage you to get into Mr. Kelly's doctrine class. In fact, you're going to really hear that in our study of how to study and interpret the Bible. I'm going to drive that theme home because it's critical, this doctrine. When you study angelology, what you learn is that most angels are not known by their names. There are a few, but not many. I mean, there's Michael and there's Gabriel. And you have the seraphim and cherubim identified as a type of angel. But you don't have most angels that are known by their names. They're known by their action. 
mean, you basically study what these angels are doing, and that kind of tells us what these angels are responsible to carry out. These seven angels are going to be responsible at this point to pour out the wrath of God on the earth. And I don't want you to overlook that. Go out on the earth with these seven bowls of the wrath of God because there are some people, they just want to water that stuff down. I mean, there are people that have done crazy things with this book of Revelation. Some people say, well, it says it's going to pour out wrath on the earth, but it doesn't really mean that. It just means it's going to pick out certain places. Well, how do you get that? One commentator said he thought it's pouring out wrath on the Catholic Church. Where do you get that? Another one said he thought it was pouring out wrath on the Roman Empire. It looks to me, when you read the language, that God is saying, you angels, get ready, because what you're going to do now is you're going to go and you're going to pour out the wrath and you're going to pour it out on the earth. Now, what we'd like to do tonight is examine the first six bold judgments in this study this evening. Then we'll pick it up here, Lord willing, next Sunday night. Number one. This first bold judgment is the judgment of boils. It's being poured out on the earth. So the first angel, verse 2 says, went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped the image. Now, this is going to be a worldwide trackdown that God's going to use against every single person who took that mark of the beast. So this angel with the first bowl has a responsibility, leave the temple area of grace, which is in heaven, leave the temple area of grace, and you go there and you pour out wrath. Now there are a lot of people, in fact there are a lot of strange churches that say, well God would never authorize anybody to get sick. No, no, sickness is of the devil. Sickness would never be authorized by God. Well, read the scriptures here. I mean, read this text here. Read what Jesus said in Revelation earlier when he said that I'll come in there and you'll be weak and sick and I'll start killing people. I mean, they want a God of love. Well, I'll tell you this. When God decides I'm going to send a sickness to someone, he can do it and he does do it. And in this case, he's sending this boil, physical infirmity, targeting all people in the world who receive the mark of the beast. I heard... Dr. J. Vernon McGee, I actually heard him tell this story. He said that he believed when he got cancer, it was a judgment from a God, and he knew the reason why. He never told the reason, and that's none of my business what the reason was. But he said, I dealt with it, and he said, when I dealt with it, the cancer was gone, and he said, I took that to be a signal from the Lord that it was also included that I had been forgiven. Because he said, I really believe that God hammered me for a specific sin, which was between him and the Lord, and he settled it between him and the Lord. So don't kid yourself. God can send sickness in any dispensation, but at this point, he sends these boil judgments, very painful boils, on all who receive the mark of the beast. And all the surviving believers that are still left, and there won't be a lot of them, but there will be some, all the surviving believers around the world will be exempt from this wrath judgment. And that's an important principle for you and I to learn, you see. Because what that tells us is God monitors those who are right with him, and he sees those who are not right with him. And when he decides that he is going to pour out some judgment on those not right with him, he can certainly keep his people that are right with him from receiving that judgment. In other words, he can actually bless people who are right with him while he's in the process of pouring out a plague like this on people. 
And the judgment of boils, it's an interesting word, helkos in Greek. You've got an E there, an epsilon, then you've got a rough breather, so you give it an H sound, helkos, which is kind of, we kind of get our word hell. And I'll tell you what, what you're about to see is actually going to be very close to a hell on earth. It's as close to a hell on earth as you're ever going to see at this point in the tribulation period. And this judgment of boils or sores are described as being a boil or sore, which means it's an ulcer or a wound. It's described as being loathsome, which is a word that refers to something harmful that'll make you sick. And it's also described as being malignant, which is a word that refers to something very painful. Now, according to verses 10 to 11, when we get to there, these sores don't disappear. So here are these people who have something that's worse than the hives. And these people are all over the world who took the mark of the beast and they cannot come up with a medicine. They cannot come up with a cure that can do anything about this painful, sick disease. It's just going to linger on. What's ironic about it is the people thought when they took the mark of the beast that that would be the thing that would save them. That's going to be the thing that's going to condemn them. And remember, when they took the mark of the beast, they took it so they could buy or sell. So you take those who didn't take the mark of the beast, they weren't able to buy groceries and they weren't able to get food and they weren't able to get fuel, whatever kinds of fuel that's out there. They weren't able to get any supplies because they didn't take the mark of the beast. So now God says, all right, I've kept track of every single individual that has this mark of the beast. And at this point in the tribulation, I'm tracking them down and I'm going to hit them with this bold judgment of boils. Now, the second judgment is the judgment against the sea. Verse three, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. There are predictions in Scripture that predict a major future judgment of God is coming against the earth. This isn't the only passage that describes it. Isaiah 24 describes it, and you can read that on your own sometime. Go back to Isaiah 24. It gives a graphic description of how God is just going to judge the earth. And there are times when most have lost track of how dependent we really are on God. We kind of lose sight of this because... For example, we get bills from an electric company or a gas company or a water company, but most people don't even stop to think, well, you know, the light actually comes from the Lord and the ability to have the electricity comes from things that God has actually put into existence and that gas is coming from something that he's supplied and the water comes from God. It doesn't really come from the company, although God has never sent us a bill, the company has. I mean, we breathe the air and God doesn't send us a bill for the air we're breathing, which is his. So when God decides to shut the system down, it's his system. I mean, God can put thousands of people out of power in a short time like he did yesterday. Just use a little wind. He can knock power right out. Now, the second bold judgment is a terrible judgment against the sea. Now, the seas of the world all have shorelines that butt up against Gentile nations. And I think that is a significant point because we did see one of the metaphorical uses of the noun sea was for Gentiles. And what is about to happen now is the times of the Gentiles are about to come to a conclusion. So we are in the end of the times of the Gentiles here. So it only stands to reason there's going to be some type of judgment against the sea. And what God does here is he causes the sea to become blood just like he did the Nile River in the Exodus. Now, this type of judgment occurred earlier 
I want you to go back to Revelation 8.8, if you would please, Revelation 8.8. I want you just to refresh your memory on this similar judgment that occurred earlier in the first part of the tribulation in Revelation 8.8. The second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. So in that part of the tribulation there, in the first part of the tribulation, when that judgment hit, that was a judgment of one-third of the ocean water that was affected, and that was trumpet judgment number two. So we can assume that what happens here is that the remaining ocean water is going to be affected by this judgment, and the end result will be massive death. Massive death. This judgment will finish off the other two-thirds of the ocean water. It'll be a massive, devastating judgment. Now, I think by the time that you get to this particular part of the tribulation, game is scarce. I mean, we see deer running all around here. I don't think you're going to see that at this point in the tribulation. I don't think you're going to have a lot of game that's available for people to hunt and get food. So they're going to be dependent upon something for food. And farmland has pretty much been blown to bits. I mean, what we've seen earlier in the tribulation has destroyed a lot of the farmland that would produce crops. And during the tribulation, you're not going to have some farmer out there saying, I guess I'll go out and plant and harvest crops. So what people are probably going to do or eat to try and survive during this time would be something that comes from the ocean like fish. I mean, right now, over 6 billion pounds of seafood are used in the United States every year. People love their fish. God said, I'm shutting that down. I'm shutting that down. In fact, he says in verse 3, what I'm going to do is I'm going to see to it that everything in that sea dies. Millions and millions of sea life will die and will float to the surface. Boy, that's going to bring about horrible stench and horrible disease. And so when everything is blood and everything coming out of there is blood, if you go to Red Lobster, it really will be red. <laughs> but the red won't be something you want to eat. It'll be blood. There's bold judgment number two. Bold judgment number three is the judgment against fresh water. Verse four says, then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Apparently, there's a key angel that is in charge of these waters, because verse 5 says, I heard the angel of the waters. There must be some key angel in charge of fresh water supplies all over the world. It would be like a special superintendent angel who manages fresh water supplies of springs and rivers and lakes. Angels are obviously involved in more than just things we realize, and one of those things is fresh water. It's clearly revealed in Scripture that God is the sovereign God who created springs, and God is the sovereign God who created fresh water for us to drink. And when God questioned Job to show him how little he knew, he quizzed him on the fact that he couldn't even tell him where fresh water springs of the sea were. He said, explain it to me, where my fresh water springs are. Job couldn't answer him. What God was going to do here is, what he is going to do here is turn the fresh water into blood. Now, in trumpet judgment number three, he did that with a third of the world. 
We saw that in Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 to 11. Now he's going to do it with the rest of the fresh water. And during this time, those who are faithful to God will be provided for by God, just as Moses, when the people of Israel were in that wilderness, God called fresh water to come out of a rock. He's going to provide for his faithful people. I would like you to go back to Psalm 107, if you would, please. Just take a second. This would be worth our trip to go to Psalm 107. And notice verse 33, Psalm 107 and verse 33. We read, He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so they may be established in an inhabited city. So what God says is, I dry up fresh water, but I care for my people. He'll see to it that that angel who's ever controlling this thing will give his faithful people the water they need to drink. Now, people need fresh water. I'll tell you what, when that coronavirus hit, I mean, people went crazy for water. They went in stores and they were buying up anything that had the name water on it, whether it would be gallon jugs or whether it would be bottles of water. I mean, people were like going out of their minds because they thought, boy, this coronavirus could mean a shipping problem or something. And so we need to get our hands and stockpile as much water as we can possibly get. Well, the problem here is there won't be any place to get the water. Because what God's going to do is shut down the water supply system. And he will turn that fresh water into blood. And these judgments, verse 5 says, are coming from a righteous Holy God. What that certainly means is these wrath judgments are righteous and holy as God himself. And God is pouring out his wrath on people in this earth. And as you'll see, they're cursing God, but in heaven they're praising God. What a contrast of views of God. But these are coming right out of heaven. And there are three stated reasons why these judgments are righteous and true. Number one, because God is the one that's giving the judgment. Verse 5 says, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judge these things. And what is happening here is there's this testimony of this angel. He's saying, God, this is a righteous judgment you're pouring out on this earth because you're the one doing it. Now that is critical doctrine. The wrath judgments of God, no matter what God does in judgments, is always right because he's the one doing it. We need a dose of this, ladies and gentlemen. We need a dose of this. The wrath judgments of God in the great tribulation are all righteous judgments and holy judgments just because they're his. End of discussion. They're his. Now, people don't like that about God. They don't even want to know this side to God. They want a God of love and toleration. They don't want to hear that a God could get angry and actually do negative things. But I'm telling you right now, when God allows negative things to happen, he has his reasons and his reasons are always right because he's the one doing it. Whatever God does, whatever God permits, whatever God decides to do, it's right and holy because he's God. And if a person doesn't agree with that, it's not the person who's in the right. God's always in the right. And who in the world are we to talk back to God? The common opinion among most people is that God must love everyone and tolerate anything. I mean, that's the kind of God that people want to invent in their own minds. In fact, they have invented that in their own minds. 
But that's not the kind of God of the Bible reveals himself to be. He's a God who governs in his way, not the way that appeases us, not the way we think. He governs what is right, holy, just, and true. So when something happens that seems so tragic or something that we can't explain, just remember this. God is sovereign in everything he does, and everything he does is always right, and what he's doing is always just. Remember that if the election doesn't go your way. Just remember that. Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem and destroyed it. Destroyed the temple. Wiped it out. God said, that was my servant. Now, if you'd have asked anyone living at that time, who's the servant of God being used of God there, nobody there would have said Nebuchadnezzar. But what God also did during that is he protected faithful people. So when something goes bad in the world and you look at it and you say, I don't understand this, why? Just shut up and realize God is just, God is sovereign, he does it, and he'll protect faithful people. The second reason why they're praising God is because this is a judgment against people who killed the saints and the prophets. Verse 6 says, For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Boy, that's such a refreshing verse. God says to his people, Hey, don't worry, I got your back. You may go through some difficulties here, but I'll tell you what, I'll pay them back. I've kept the records of what these people have done, and it will be only fitting and right that they end up drinking blood. They want to kill babies? All right, they kill babies. I'll kill them. I won't kill them as fast as they did when they killed a baby. I'll let them suffer. I'll let them suffer, and I'll let them just be in pain and torment before I take them and burn them in hell. It's important to observe that in the listing, God lists saints and then the prophets. They poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. There's a chronology there. If you're working back through chronology, the most recent people that were killed were saints. And before that, in the Old Testament, there were the prophets. God said, I've kept all these records. You need to understand this. There's coming a time when I'm going to pour out my wrath on every one of these people. They're going to suffer the full brunt of the wrath of God because they killed my people. And thirdly, because this is a judgment that people deserve. They deserve it. Man, this world does deserve it, doesn't it? This world has made a mockery of God. It's made a mockery of the word of God. What this world deserves is the wrath of God. It has never deserved grace, that's for sure. God has permitted a God-mocking, Bible-hating, Christ-rejecting world to drink his fresh water for thousands of years. They don't even think about God. They just go get the water they want to drink. He's done that in pure grace. He's let that sun shine on the righteous and the wicked. They don't even think about that. In fact, a lot of righteous people don't think about that. It's only fitting and right that he sends this ferocious judgment of wrath on a world that so mocked him. They refuse the living water of life, who's Jesus Christ. So he says, all right, you didn't want the living water of life that could give you eternal life? I'll shut off your fresh water supply. You won't have any water to drink. And apparently, 
At the moment God does this, according to verse 7, there's this heavenly praise acknowledgement of seven realities. Yes, I just love that verse 7. Yes, the judgments are right. This is what you can know about God. When you can't explain things, when you don't have a clue about things, you can always know God judges and does what's right. Secondly, God is the Lord. He's the sovereign master over everything. Thirdly, God is God. He's sovereign God who can do whatever he wants to do. He's the almighty God. He has all power. And his judgments are true. His judgments are righteous. His judgments are God's righteous. They're your judgments. So understand this. Judgments come from a holy God. Judgments come from a righteous God. We need to believe that. We need to defend that. Now, the fourth bold judgment is the judgment of scorching sun, verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. We saw earlier in the fourth trumpet judgment that there's already been a reduction of light, but what this bowl judgment does is it brings a serious intensification of heat, and there are several different predictions that one day God's going to burn up this world. This will be the final global warning, the real global warning that's going to take place, and it will burn up people. And I don't care what you flap around talking about green deals and stuff. like That isn't going to stop this. Nothing man can do can stop this from happening. Now, in this bold judgment, God's going to use his son to scorch men. That's his language. I'm going to use my son to scorch men. It'll be a judgment of men, a ferocious, unbearable burning heat. The language here describes an intense level of burning and scorching that's coming directly from the sun. Now, if we keep this in a context... The ocean has been turned into blood. The fresh water has been also turned into blood. That makes this judgment even more horrible. Because men will be burning up and there'll be no water that they can get to quench their thirst. Shade trees are gone because you have no water to maintain the leaves. God will turn the entire world into a burning hot desert. And men will be on this earth and they will be scorched. And this is the time. When men can literally say life is hell on earth and it will actually be like hell on earth. And I think God's setting the stage for this. Just this past week on October 31st, NASA released a picture of the sun that appeared to have a face smiling. I don't know if any of you saw that, but it did. It appeared to have a face smiling. And the thing that caused the image was holes in the sun called coronal holes, coronal holes. And the danger of those holes, scientists said, is that, you know, that wind can blow through there with intense heat that can hit the earth. And the more the wind blows, the hotter the world becomes. I don't think that's a coincidence. They're spotting that in the sun. I think God's getting ready to burn up this world. It's his solar system. He designed it. He can use it any way he wants. And right here, he's going to use it in that way. There's a very unusual prediction made in Psalm 121. I'd like you to go back to that. Psalm 121, if you would. I want to show you this. Because here's another interesting prediction when God's burning up the world with the sun. In Psalm 121, verse 5, Psalm 121, verse 5, The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you 
From all evil, he will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Now, God says, I'm going to use that son to smite the world, but I'm also going to protect the people that were faithful to me. When I'm doing this, when I'm actually pouring out my wrath, using my son to scorch people, I will see to it that my people are protected. I will see to it that they aren't harmed by this judgment. It's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, everything is burning up that's near this fire, and they're in there, and it doesn't even affect them. And that's what God is promising that he's going to do there. And when God unleashes this bold judgment, there are two main reactions that come from these men. First of all, they blaspheme God. Now you get to see what man's like. Verse 9, men were scorched, and they blasphemed the name of God who's power over these plagues. Now just think about this for a second. These guys are sitting on this earth with the mark of the beast. They're sitting here being scorched by the sun, and they know these are plagues that are coming from God. They're saying that here. They know these are plagues that are coming from God. These are people who didn't speak out against Satan, didn't speak out against the Antichrist, didn't speak out against the false prophet. These are people who were led into this judgment by that evil trinity, as it were, And they know that these judgments are coming from God, and you would think that somebody would say, well, you know what, we've made a real mistake here. And maybe we better deal with our own sin here. No, 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 they blaspheme God. You know, people in hell, burning in hell, I would say are not really sorry for their sin. People that reach that level where they just are so against the Lord Jesus Christ that are burning up, you don't see them repenting here. You don't see them sorry for anything. The second reaction is they won't repent. That's what verse 9 says. They did not repent so as to give him glory. So these people who are actually baking in the sun, no water to drink, no fish to eat, the water supply is cut off, they're covered with boils, They're covered with these sores and this disease that's eating away their flesh, baking in the hot sun. Instead of crying out to God for salvation, they would not repent. They would not repent. And what that teaches us, ladies and gentlemen, is that it is possible for someone to actually know something is coming from God, and instead of turning to the Lord and resolving it, they can blaspheme God and refuse to repent. Don't let that happen to you. Stay sensitive to the Spirit of God. If that Spirit of God convicts you, you deal with that. You respond to that conviction in your own personal, private way because this is a real danger that can come into people. They can actually know that God is causing certain things to go wrong and not repent of what they're doing that's bringing it on. Now, the fifth bowl judgment is the judgment of darkness, verses 10 to 11. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Now, there are multiple passages of Scripture that predict that there will be a very unusual darkness that God is going to use in the Great Tribulation. There was an episode in the book of Exodus that we went through in chapter 10 where God sent darkness, and it was so oppressive that in chapter 10, verses 21 to 23, the people couldn't even get out of bed and go anywhere. I mean, they couldn't see. And I don't think you're going to be able to 
come up with any type of lighting system that's going to be able to even work at this point. Because God is going to use this as a terrible dark judgment. God's darkness is going to bring a darkness to the Antichrist kingdom. And that's what he's going to do here. And all of these judgments are going to be specifically aimed at those that are following Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So at this point in the bold judgment, they're all smitten with boils and sores. Their drinking water's gone. They're burning up and being scorched with the sun. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm turning out the lights. And you can't even see the hand in front of your face. And the people are in total darkness. The language there in verse 10 is they gnaw their tongues. Now that's a prelude to hell. Because there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those that are burning in hell. This is a literal picture of what people in hell experience forever and ever. That's a scary proposition there. This describes what hell will be like with weeping and gnashing of teeth added. They're in burning pain. They have no relief. They have no chance of getting out of this. They're in total darkness. There's nothing they're enjoying there. And they blaspheme God and would not repent of their evil. See, the threat of ferocious judgment doesn't affect most people. I read an account of a liberal educator who said, modern educated Americans really don't believe in hell. We're the educated people. We really don't believe in hell. Well, one day you will. And even when truth like this is presented, it doesn't change most people. I mean, most people, when faced with the threat of burning hell, they don't repent. William Newell said, if men are not one by grace, they're never going to be one at all. Which brings us to the sixth bowl judgment, the judgment against the Euphrates in verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river of the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Now, the sixth trumpet judgment unites hostile eastern forces And the sixth bowl judgment dries up the Euphrates so those forces can go where God wants them to go. And we'll look at that as we move forward in this book. There's little room for doubt that this is a literal prediction of what's going to happen to the Euphrates River because it's named there. How do you dodge that? It's named there. In Joel chapter 3 verse 2, it's predicted that God's going to bring all nations into Palestine for his judgment. And the Euphrates River is the eastern boundary of the land that God has promised to give to Israel. So the purpose of him drying up this river at this point in the tribulation is to make it real easy for these eastern nations and political powers to come into Israel so Jesus Christ can destroy them all. He's going to drop them all. This is a prelude to the battle of Armageddon, or Armageddon, as some would have you pronounce it. That is a prelude to that very battle that we're going to see. And the mention of the fact that it's the kings of the east, notice verse 12, this has been prepared for the kings of the east, would indicate that there has been a unity formed with these eastern political allies, which would include China, Japan, India, North Korea. And the reason why these kings come is not specifically stated, But I'm confident that they're coming into the promised land to attack the Antichrist and what's there. But what they don't realize is God is the one who's driving them there so he can destroy them. What this part of Revelation proves is God is a God of wrath. We'll be real clear on this point as we wrap this up. Jesus Christ bore our sin. 
Jesus Christ bore our wrath. Now you have to personally call out to him to save you and invite him into your life. You have to do that on your own. You have to believe in him on your own. Paul would write, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you have to call on the name of the Lord to save you. Don't let your pride prevent you from doing that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because here's the alternative. You face the wrath of God. And the wrath of God is forever. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, don't leave this sanctuary tonight without settling this case. Right where you sit, you just admit the truth that you're a sinner and you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life to save you. Put it in your own words and ask him to take over your life. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for the God that you are. We are grateful that we can rest confidently in the fact that you're a sovereign God. We certainly don't understand all the things that are going on, but you don't have to report to us. We have enough to work on in our own lives. But I pray we'd be found faithful until we get out of this world. And I also pray, Lord, that we would be people that would please you so that no matter what you're doing elsewhere, we have your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.